Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome in to AOA, Agriculture of America here today. Thanks so much for joining us once again. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. An exciting show lined up for you here today. Coming up in segment two, it'll be the September episode of the Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We're going to be talking sustainable aviation fuel and the role that corn plays in sustainable aviation fuels. That's a new uh, new avenue that we are looking to expand upon. We're going to talk more about that coming up here in segment two. In segment three, we're going to have a conversation with Bill Northey with the Agribusiness Association of Iowa. Bill, of course, a former undersecretary USDA in the Trump administration, former ag secretary for the state of Iowa. We're going to have a conversation with him coming up here at the bottom of the hour. We'll also take a look at some of the latest news headlines. A lot of uh, news on farmland values and more is out from latest federal data. We're going to talk about that coming up here at the end of the show today. First up, though, let's talk about the latest monthly meat demand monitor. Joining us once again here for this month's update, Dr. Glenn Tonsor with Kansas State University. Dr. Tonsor, great to catch up with you. I hope you are doing well. Oh, good morning, Jesse. Thanks for having me on. and I hope everybody had an enjoyable Labor Day weekend. Well, I, I know I did. I hope you did as well. And I'm wondering if a lot of folks were maybe out doing some grilling uh, for the last final uh, big summer holiday, so to speak, as we get ready for fall and you know football's here and more. So uh, obviously it might have been a lot of uh, meat demand here for Labor Day, but let's talk about the August numbers. I know that's what you guys just published. And let's get an overview first. What were some of the big things that you saw in the latest meat demand monitor? Yeah, the overview here for, again, this would be August, as you said, uh, domestic retail demand. So think grocery store, primarily grocery store channel for at home uh, for meat was sort of flat with July. It would depend on exactly which category I close, but basically flat. Uh, food service, however, so away from home was actually up from July. So we saw an uptick in foot traffic, particularly for lunch and dinner meals. And that corresponded to higher demand for things like ribeye steak, pork chops and the like. Uh, in August compared to July. That is a welcome development because we've had multiple months of, I'll call it some domestic demand stagnation. Uh, hopefully that's a signal that the consuming public getting a little more comfortable financially. I think there's still some great clouds on the horizon I'll break down for you. Uh, but looking at August versus July, um, the away from home demand was up and that's a good thing. I was going to say, do we think maybe that was just part of uh, you know a little bit of late summer activity, maybe before school, possibly folks were going on vacations and getting out and enjoying a meal outside of the home potentially there, Glenn? Yes, I certainly think that's possible. Uh, it's also important to keep in mind, so Jesse, you and I, and the majority of our listeners are in the middle of the country. Um, and there's differences across our country when the kids go back to school. Sure. Uh, my kids have been back in school for almost three weeks. And yet, if you watch the national news, there's still ads about you know how to get supplies for your kids. Um, the reason I'm highlighting that is a lot of coastal bigger cities are just now going back to school or they do right around Labor Day. And the exact timing of family vacations on this probably varies around the country. Uh, the Tonzer household gets all that done before you know the 10th of August, where a lot of the country is able to use most of August still. So I think you're onto something there. You mentioned some gray clouds ahead. Let's pick that sign of this apart a little bit. I mean, I mean, as you looked at the August numbers and, and you still, you, we look ahead, I know there's still some concerns out there about the economy and inflation. I mean, what are you seeing? What are you referring to when you say you think there's some gray clouds ahead still? Yeah. So, you know, for a moment outside of the MDM, and I'll bring it back into the MDM, Jesse, is, you know, oil prices have went up quite a bit since the last time you and I were on. Um, that historically translates into higher gas and more generally heating and utility costs as we go into the winter. Uh, consumers are already, and actually I should say residents because it's not just meat consumers, all U.S. residents already are having a little bit of a financial household budget pinch. And yet some of those categories on their expenses may be going up. Um, there's renewed discussion about when inflation actually tipped back up as opposed to continue down. All of those are you know, downward pressure on meat demand factors if they are to develop as 2023 completes. Um, obviously, I hope that you know we're overreacting and some of that gets better, but I think some of the signals I'm seeing in the MDM are consistent with that. So 
You know, each month we ask, how do your household finances compare to a year ago? And still over three fourths of the public says their finances are the same or worse than a year ago. Um, that's not an optimistic statement. It's been that way for a few months, but I think there's a lot of conservative, cautious views by the U.S. public that's putting some gray clouds in the headwinds in front of domestic meat demand. When you looked at the numbers for August, was there any protein that stood out over another that was uh, more consumed by folks in the month of August? Um, so chicken breast uh, demand is definitely standing out compared to the others. Um, you know, there, there are challenges in the chicken industry for those that have followed, you know, broader supply, and, you know, announcements on plants being closed and so forth. But we can't lose fact of most U.S. Uh, consumers consume a chicken breast pretty regularly. And I'm pointing to chicken breast because it's the most commonly consumed uh, meat protein. And the rate of that goes up when you're price sensitive. Um, so average prices for steak versus chicken breast and so forth are pretty wide at the moment. Um, from a beef demand perspective, it's great. They're able to accomplish that higher price. From a consumer perspective, that's more price sensitive. Uh, the chicken breast and at times the pork chop look appealing compared to that. So we're seeing that trend play out, uh, mainly consistent with the broader macroeconomic kind of affordability story I was alluding to. We're talking with Dr. Glenn Tonsor from Kansas State University about the August meat demand monitor. And uh, Dr. Tonsor, as you look through the rest of the numbers, anything else that stood out to you in the August report that you want to make sure to mention today? Yeah, most of our listeners know all this information is on our Ag Manager, that info website. It's beef and pork checkoff funded, so please you know, go pull it up and use it. At the end of our standard report, so the end of page three, if you pull up the August one, uh, I've put in a couple tables that just synthesize frequency of pork chop, chicken breast, and beefsteak consumption, both in aggregate for the country and then by generation. And the part I want to highlight is younger generations, particularly millennials, so those born between 81 and 1996, consume all three of those major muscle cuts more frequently yesterday, so prior day recall kind of questioning, uh, than older generations. I think that's really important as a you know, ray of sunshine in this discussion because I've given us some great loud comments. But I think if the meat industry in the U.S. can continue to provide desired products that are convenient for those households that consume more than the traditional three meals, so not just breakfast, lunch, and dinner, that's really important. And we synthesize some of that in the August report. I find that very interesting as well. You mentioned that with millennials uh, there, maybe partially some of those millennials are having families, they're young folks, they're they're really, you know, kind of, they're in the workforce a lot more. That could be maybe an interesting facet there as well. I'm not sure. Yeah. And I think it's part of that, you know, I pick on the breakfast, lunch, and dinner, like the staple meals. All else equal, the younger you are, the less likely you are to just rely on three meals. You're more likely to have four, if not six, even occasions. Mm -hmm. And I think the meat industry still has a lot of work to do to kind of meet the consumer on that. But meeting them is even more important for the younger generation and I'm highlighting millennials. Uh, millennials are a large segment of our population. They're growing in their buying power. And as you said, it's not just one generation in the house, it's multiples. And they tend to be pretty busy. Um, you know, I happen to be one of those that has a couple teenage boys at home and they eat a lot of meat protein. <laughs> we way over index. But make no mistake, we put a high value on convenience too. So that needs to be kept in mind. Mention that website real quick one more time, Glenn. Agmanager.info. Fantastic. Dr. Glenn Tonsor, Kansas State University. Thanks for joining us for the Meat Demand Monitor discussion this month. We'll talk to you next month. Sounds good, Jesse. Thank you. Coming up next, the September episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association here on AOA. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. 
Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. Join us Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Sports allow us to play, learn, and grow. But there's something more important than victory. At the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, we believe every athlete deserves to be safe. Safe from abuse and misconduct on and off the field. We equip athletes, parents, coaches, and others with the right education to recognize, prevent, and respond to harmful behavior. Join the movement to champion respect and end abuse at uscenterforsafesport.org. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America. Jesse Allen with you here. It is time now for the September episode of the Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We're talking sustainable aviation fuel here this month. Joining us on the program, we have first Sarah McKay, Director of Market Development at NCGA. And Sarah, great to have you back on the program with us. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having us. And also John Del Motti, NCGA uh, member of the Market Development Action Team is with us. John, great to have you back on the show. How are you? Good. Thanks for having us back. Well, let's dive into this sustainable aviation fuel discussion and the role that corn plays with SAF. And Sarah, just to start, can you give us just a, a little background on what is SAF? Sure thing. So at National Corn Growers Association, we're always looking for new utilizations of corn and new ways to increase that corn grind. And one of those ways is through our new uses efforts. So these are things from bio-based plastics, chemicals that could be made from corn instead of petroleum that are not only greener, but perform better as well and are better for, for consumers and the environment. Everybody it gets to be a win-win-win. One of those major new uses that we pursue um, and have been pursuing actively is in sustainable aviation fuel. Um, and essentially when we say SAF or sustainable aviation fuel, that is fuel that is produced from sustainable feedstocks like corn, um, which is you know pretty much identical in chemistry to the traditional petro-based jet fuel, but is made from, from corn, whether it's from corn oil in one of those pathways for SAF, or you can also do an ethanol to jet. That alcohol pathway is also another uh, pathway that, that can be pursued for sustainable aviation fuel. Fantastic, Sarah. Well, John, why don't you bring in the producer perspective here a little bit as you hear all this talk about sustainable aviation fuel and using a feedstock such as corn for SAF. And it feels like we're kind of on the cusp of a, a booming opportunity here. What's your take from the producer perspective? I would say probably the biggest standpoint that I look at with SAF is is that that viewpoint of of let's use bushels of corn that we're producing. So uh, obviously my concern as a producer is that there remains viable markets uh, for, for our crop. So when I look at SAF and the potential demand of, of that fuel product, um, it's, it's a massive, massive market. 
And the interesting part about it, at least from my standpoint, is that unlike uh, ethanol uh, that we use in, in automotive and other petroleum blends, um, we, we had to sell ethanol to the consumer. Mm-hmm. And, and the unique uh, part about this product, the, the SAF, is that the consumer is actually coming to us, um, looking for us to produce this product. So they've got initiatives to cut carbon, um, you know, in, in their flight. And the easiest way to do that is to use low carbon fuel. And so SAF is a really good way, a really easy way for them to start achieving some of those, some of those goals. So when I look at the, the fuels market as a whole, and, you know, as, as there's discussions around, you know, um, the automotive market, maybe moving more toward electric, um, you know, we, we sort of have to ask ourselves, so what happens to that ethanol demand? And SAF um, creates a huge, huge market um, mm-hmm. for that product. And, and ultimately, the bigger point is, is it, it creates demand for corn. And that's the big thing, creating that demand for corn, a new avenue for corn. We already have a lot of great uses for corn. And Sarah, I just feel like the opportunities here for agriculture are very, very huge. And corn could make a, a great feedstock for SAF. Absolutely. You know, one thing we really try to, to emphasize is the sustainability story of corn and also how corn is a good feedstock now. It's available um and able to be utilized now, we don't have to work on developing the feedstock at the same time as we're developing the sustainable aviation fuel technology, right? So we can focus on plugging in this great sustainable feedstock into this new technology for sustainable aviation fuel. And that's what we really try to get across to whether it's Department of Energy or to, um, you know, folks at the airlines and in, in, the, and in the fuel supply chain Um system. And, you know, when we talk about John really hinted at that, that opportunity, and you know, aviation as a whole is expected to double to over 8 billion passengers by 2050, right? So not only is reducing the carbon footprint really important to the airlines and to society and and the world as a whole, but it's also a huge opportunity for corn growers to enter into this market space. And something that too, I think is really exciting is that it will take a variety of feedstocks, it doesn't have to be corn versus soy versus you know, the forestry industry versus sugarcane, it gets to be an and statement and that pie really gets to grow. So we all get a large piece of it. And that's what we've been trying to really emphasize is, is the opportunity for agriculture to be one of the largest markets uh, or mar- largest providers of SAF mm-hmm. and, and take advantage of this market opportunity. Well, Sarah, John, I'll, I'll ask both of you. And uh, I mean, obviously, with new technology here, we're developing things. Are, are there any barriers that exist currently when it comes to you know using corn as a feedstock for sustainable aviation fuel? How could farmers get involved to help here? Uh, let, let's talk about that a little bit. Are there any barriers currently as we're really developing this technology? So I think um, it's it's kind of an interesting. Um, pathway um, to, to get to some of the things that we need to, to really get this this off the ground. And the interesting one that really caught me off guard um, was really getting the Department of Treasury um, on board in terms of, of how we can um, incentivize um, implementation of, of the products um, and development of the products. Um, and so remember that ultimately um, the airline industry has incentive in terms of of carbon reduction and so what we have to make sure of is that we use the proper modeling for um, the carbon reduction and Mm -hmm. without getting in the weeds um, too far um, there are different model models that you can use um, that sort of show what that carbon reduction might be and and the most important thing we have in front of us right now is that the argon greet model is is the model that we use um you know going forward so um it it is sort of um you you have to get down in the weeds a little bit to to understand what the big barriers are but ultimately it's it's as basic as we need to make sure as producers that we talk to um our 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 congress people and make sure that they are on board um, with the product and that they get on board 
with using the proper modeling. Because when we when we really step back and, and look at it from this standpoint, ultimately, um, it's a very sustainable product um, in terms of, of carbon capture. I mean, the corn plant captures a lot of carbon. Sure. Um, so when we when we start going into some of those things, we can we can really make it a, a good, valid argument that, um, you know, agriculture in this marketplace is really important. And it's really important that we use the right modeling to get there. Sarah, anything to add to that point as well, real quick? John did a, a nice job, I think, really kind of illustrating, you know, our, our tactic with advocacy efforts is really getting the Department of Treasury to to implement the the GREET model as a similar methodology allowed under that that RA, uh, sorry, Inflation Reduction Act, SAF mm -hmm. credit. And hopefully we'll get some more guidance here on September 15th. That's kind of the next date that we're looking towards. And so we continue to advocate on, on a policy side and with our um, lawmakers, but we also continue to work with the airlines and the industry and even the technology providers to help make sure that um, our customers are understanding the value of this, but also uh, those technology providers are getting the resources um, that they need to help scale up this technology. And sir, I know as well some outreach that NCGA is doing. You guys are hosting a summit uh, this week in St. Louis, correct? Correct. Yep. Tomorrow we have a SAF summit in St. Louis where we'll have participation um, from all parts of the sustainable aviation fuel value chain from the feedstock providers to the technology providers to Department of Energy and USDA, as well as uh, airline participation. And then we continue to build on, on conversations we're having with airline studies that we've done um, at National Corners through the Market Development Action Team, as well as um, some planned attendance at future sustainable aviation fuel conferences coming up this fall. So lots of work coming up ahead for the Market Development Action Team. Definitely lots of work coming up ahead, but very interesting. And I know a lot of excitement surrounding sustainable aviation fuel and the role that corn can play as a feedstock within uh, the creation of SAF. Sarah McKay, John Del Monte with the National Corn Growers Association, the Market Development Action Team. Thank you both for joining us here this month on the monthly grind on AOA. And we'll look forward to a conversation again next month. Thanks so much for the time. Thank you. All right, and coming up next, thanks. we are going to, thanks Sarah, appreciate it. Thank you both for joining us. All right, coming up next, we're going to have a conversation with Bill Northey from the Agribusiness Association of Iowa. That's next here on AOA, Agriculture of America. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. The grain and oil seeds were mostly higher overnight and continue to be so this morning. That's after USDA's weekly crop progress report showed greater deterioration in the corn and soybean crops than expected yesterday afternoon. Corn condition ratings took a hit over the past week, but soybean ratings really grabbed the market's attention when its condition index score dropped by 10 points. Now, one thing we have to watch for this year is smaller seed size, which tends to drag down yields to levels below what is expected by the models, and sometimes that decline can be significant. We should start to see that show in USDA's field sampling for next week's crop report if that is in fact the case, but ultimately it will take the combine to tell the full story. This isn't changing the weak export demand story for corn and for beans or the weak feed demand story for corn, but we also can't dismiss the possibility that yields will fall sufficiently to offset that weakness, especially for beans. 
The focus near term here will be on the supply side of the balance sheet, likely until the market has a better handle on the size of this year's crops. The demand side of the balance sheet will be the focus after the trade has a handle on the crop size. Expect USDA to start ratcheting down its demand estimates as it cuts yields, but yield cuts would be expected to exceed demand cuts in the near term, possibly leading some fund managers needing to cover some short positions. Commodity inflation is another emerging concern for the Federal Reserve and for the markets. Crude oil prices surged to fresh eight-and-a-half-month highs yesterday after Saudi Arabia extended voluntary production cuts to December to go along with Russia's voluntary cuts announced in the past week. The cut extensions, which total 1.8 million barrels per day, come at a time when some analysts are questioning whether China's demand is as soft as first thought. Now, it should be noted that those cuts are partially offset by an increase of 200,000 barrels per day coming from Iran, which is not subject to OPEC's quota cuts. And that's also in addition to small increases from Nigeria. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA. Jesse Allen with you here. And we are working to get connected with Bill Northey, the CEO of the Agribusiness Association of Iowa. So we're going to uh, continue to try and get connected with Bill here today on the show. And we'll see if we can get him on during this segment three. Well, of course, uh, spent time uh, last week at the Farm Progress Show in Decatur, Illinois. And uh, I tell you what, um, crowds are out in full force once again there at the show in Decatur. I mean, uh, Wednesday in itself, I know they used overflow parking during the show for the first time in a decade. And man, oh man, I tell you what, uh, it, it was hard to maneuver around every single street on the grounds there in Decatur, Illinois. Uh, I know I had a golf cart trying to get around to do some interviews and, and things like that. And man, oh man, it was tough because uh, there was wall-to-wall foot traffic during the show. And I, I think that's really cool. Uh, really, really awesome to see folks uh, coming back out in full force for farm show, especially as we've tried to ramp things back up uh, after the COVID-19 pandemic and a lot of folks out kicking tires and uh, trying their best to uh, see new equipment and much more. So I thought it was really, really great to see that. I know Husker Harvest Day is coming up here uh, next week in Nebraska. We're going to talk to Matt Youngman about that coming up on tomorrow's program. Well, joining us now, I spent time in my radio career as a farm broadcaster in Iowa, so I got to know my next guest pretty well when he was Secretary of Ag in Iowa and that he made his way to the USDA as an undersecretary, and he's now the CEO of the Agribusiness Association of Iowa, Bill Northey, joining us here today on AOA. Bill, it's great to talk with you again. How are you? Great to talk with you, Jesse. Yeah, we've uh, known each other. I've been in... uh... A few different studios with you. <laughs> we spent we spent a little time together, studios or, or farm fields out in the uh, middle That's of right. Iowa. So we've uh, we've definitely had our fair share of conversations. Well, I do appreciate you uh, joining us here on the show today. And Bill, just uh, for starters, uh, get us up to speed on some of the things that are going on at the Agribusiness Association of Iowa. Some of the things that you guys do there at the association and helping out uh, ag businesses across the state. Can you give us a little overview of uh, what's been going on there lately? You bet. Glad to. So 
Agribusiness Association of Iowa started about 30 years ago when Iowa Fertilizer and Chemical Association and Iowa Grain and Feed Association came together. So we're ag retailers that are providing agronomy services, feed mills, buying grain from farmers, and then folks that are associated with them, whether they are the wholesalers that are manufacturing fertilizer or, or agronomy products, uh, seed folks, uh, folks that are buying and processing grain or feeding it in some cases as well. So about 180 companies uh, that are members of Agribusiness Association of Iowa. An awful lot of times they're gathering because there's some kind of government policy that they care about or that they worry about coming down the line, whether it's a legislative policy in the Iowa legislature uh, or hoping for something that's an improvement or whether it's a, a an administration policy, like they're dealing with an agency that is regulating some some items and can be a challenge in creating some regulation, not realizing what the impact is. So that representation um, of of that group is really important. And then the other thing that we do, Jesse, is just pull folks together within that agribusiness community. And so being able to have them interact with each other, I would say those issues, I mean, I hear from all of them about things mm -hmm. that you hear about for farmers, and that's labor, being able to have the kind of help that they need. Technology keeps changing. Certainly our ag retailers are trying to sort through which products, new products, biologicals, and other things should be used. We had a pop-up meeting for drones, for application drones, because some mm -hmm. of our members are buying drones, some of our customers are looking to be able to augment spraying fungicides and and herbicides and, and spreading cover crop seed. Um, so all kinds of different things. There's uh, seems like there's no shortage of issues. There is no shortage of issues. Well, let's talk about a few of those. You mentioned labor, and I know, as I alluded to, you have a lot of experience, your time in D.C., your time as Secretary of Ag there in Iowa, and as you're talking to um, businesses that are members of the association and, and looking at labor, I know that's that continues to be a sticking point. We're looking for, some folks are looking for reforms to the H-2A visa program. Some are thinking, wanting to see ag labor get roped into a farm bill discussion. I, I mean, from what you're hearing in your experience, what's it going to take to get some ag labor reform here in the U.S.? You know, I, I do think that the awareness level of, of the shortfall, both on-farm and off-farm, is greater than it used to be. Uh, but, oh, I tell you, the, the immigration issue itself has always been so politicized that uh, I can't tell you how many conversations I've been in when somebody said, yeah, that bill's better than today, but you know what? It's missing this, and so therefore I'm going to vote against it. And so it's hard to get a majority uh, if, if your qualification has got to be perfect. And so that's been one of those that's been tough. I, I do think that there is more interest in, in being able to have some, some uh, accredited foreign workers that are coming in that are certified, that are legal. Um, and part of it is because we're so short of employees. Very few people out here think that uh, they're going to lose their job because somebody else is coming in to uh, be able to do that, do the kind of work that that foreign labor would be able to do. So I think we're getting closer to some of that. Um, mm -hmm. Certainly our folks as well are trying to encourage people that are not thinking about working in ag, uh, all the opportunities that there are in agriculture, whether it's uh, university students or community college students, or in some cases, we even have a gathering where we bring in high school students to be able to talk about the opportunities in agriculture there are some great jobs, whether they're in big cities or small towns uh, in Iowa or other places that are involved in agriculture that make you feel good, uh, that well-paid, uh, and that are really challenging, interesting jobs that maybe in some cases some kids aren't, aren't thinking about yet, uh, mm -hmm. and we try and open their eyes to that too. 
Well, Bill, what else are you hearing as you talk to uh, agribusinesses around Iowa? You have to think maybe Farm Bill is uh, something that comes up at discussions as well. Obviously, we're in the the middle of uh, that ongoing discussion in D.C. right now and trying to get a Farm Bill done. Are you hearing any conversations surrounding that? I, I do. Probably not as many as I did when when most of my touch was farmers all the time because it so directly impacts farmers, but obviously our ag businesses care about it too because for them to be successful, they need farmers to be successful. And so they want to make sure that there's a good crop insurance program and that there's some kind of safety net that works even if prices back down a little bit or we have short crops in some areas like we're going to see uh, in areas this year um, across Iowa. So, so they care about it. Uh, they're not as engaged as our producer groups are. We're here mostly to support the producer groups uh, that are out there that, that spend a lot of time figuring out, you know, what should those support levels be and how should those programs be changed. Um, so the agribusiness community is certainly supportive of the rest of the community. They care about that. I think there's, you know, one of those low worries that not a lot of people are talking about um, but could be disruptive. Um, the potential of another government shutdown. Um, mm-hmm. When I was at USDA, um, we had that back in 2019, um, just after the Farm Bill was passed in 20, December of 2018. Um, and we were down for about six weeks. And, man, you kind of forget some of the things that the government does if they're not there to do them, uh, whether it was sign two-party checks or be able to let people pay off their nine-month commodity loans so they could deliver on a contract that they already uh, had um, promised to deliver. And there are just a lot of things like that that can be disruptive. Um, and there's, there's more rumbling that something could happen while there's still a lot of hope that it doesn't. Very, very true. Bill, before we uh, run out of time, any other final thoughts you'd want to share with us here today? Anything else you're hearing in those conversations you're having with uh, ag businesses as you travel around the state of Iowa right now? Certainly our folks are are looking at crop. Uh, We have a lot of chopping going on in Iowa. You've heard that from from farmers and you know that. we had a lot of chopping going on in August, and in Iowa, that's never a good thing. Uh, that means you got a short crop coming, and and uh, so they're thinking about their farmers uh, that could have short crops. Obviously, that affects the revenue at, at our grain buyers out there and processors and others. Um, I talked to a guy the other day, he's a farmer, that said, you know, this is just part of it. It happens sometimes, and we have some insurance, and we'll get through this, and not my first short crop um and i think that's what uh, everyone's thinking about out there and they'll get through it but but it does take a different kind of management in a short crop year but overall optimistic you know we we're in a great industry we're with great people i'm getting a chance to uh, to get around and and get to know some of our members better and some of the work they do and really proud of the things that they do to help make farmers successful out there. Fantastic. Well, folks can learn more about the Agribusiness Association of Iowa online, agribiz.org. With that, the CEO of the Agribusiness Association of Iowa, Bill Northy. Great to talk with you again, my friend. Have an awesome day. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you much, Jesse. Great to talk with you. All right, coming up next, we're going to take a look at news headlines. USDA upped its import forecast. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to look at some new farmland value data. That's next here on AOA. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. 
Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers, and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. As veterans, we're no strangers to helping others. It's what we were taught, trained, and told to do. It could be for anything. Helping a friend move. Listening to a fellow veteran for hours at any hour of the day. Or just simply making time for people. A neighbor, a loved one, or even a stranger. We're often the first to help others. There's no question about it. But we do have one question for the veterans listening. When is the last time you reached out for help? Perhaps it's time to do for yourself what you would do for others. If you or someone you know needs resources, whether it's for stress, finances, employment, or mental health, don't wait. Reach out. Find more information at va.gov reach. That's va.gov reach. Brought to you by the United States Department of Veterans Affairs and the Ad Council. Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America. 
Well, of course, a lot of folks throughout rural America and throughout the country as a whole are continuing to watch interest rates, inflation concerns, and much more. Credit card bills are at all-time record highs, and there's just a lot of concern still about the overall state of the U.S. economy. And, of course, that impacts what's going on in agriculture with farmland prices, farm incomes, and more. A lot of decisions are getting ready to be made as we get ready for 2024. I know we haven't even really begun harvesting yet this 2023 crop, but seed decisions, inputs, and more for next year are already on the minds of many producers. Well, the Minneapolis Federal Reserve Bank recently issued its report on farm income in the second quarter of 2023. Joe Mayen, Director of Regional Outreach with the Minneapolis Fed, says while farm incomes were flat, land values were up in quarter two. We know this. We just got our numbers from the USDA, our annual numbers, and those jive with what we heard in our second quarter survey. We saw an increase in land values across the region. I believe that we had non-irrigated land values increasing on average about 9% across our region. That varied by state a little bit, but that generally held throughout the region. And we saw some increase in irrigated land and pasture land values as well. Now, the cost to rent farmland also has gone up. Rents also up, but not quite by as much. We saw non-irrigated land rents go up by 4% relative to a year ago. And those are generally consistent with what we saw in that USDA report that came out earlier in August. Now, the Fed survey showed that capital spending is down on district farms spending on equipment and buildings, and that's down as well. That's not too surprising given what we know has happened with interest rates and given what we know about the availability of a lot of inputs like machinery still being pretty hard, prices still being pretty elevated. However, farm household spending is still solid. Spending by farm households is still coming in really strong. Another indicator that the cash position is okay. So even though we're seeing incomes level off, capital investment or spending on equipment and buildings not really perking up, the consumer spending by farm households is still coming in pretty strong. And once again, that's Joe Mayen from the Minneapolis Fed. So we're going to continue to watch and see what is going on with farmland prices and more as we move forward. Well, also, USDA's cut its fiscal year 2024 farm export forecast for all major U.S. foreign markets, including number one, China. China continues to be the top U.S. ag export market, but USDA economist Sean Arita says the department's China forecast for the fiscal year starting October 1st is down by $3 billion. Due to some of the weaker outlook from soybeans, dairy, and beef, China is projected to remain our largest export market for fiscal year 2024. We are forecasting $30 billion for this upcoming year of exports to that market. As for number two, Mexico, and number three, Canada. We're forecasting Mexico $28.2 billion and Canada $27.5 billion. Meantime, Marita tells USDA Radio that ag imports are forecast to reach a record $199.5 billion next fiscal year, but in non-competitive areas import of products like bananas, pineapples, mangoes, coffee, tropical zone products that we don't produce really here in the U.S. And we also have a lot of counter-seasonal type of products we import that, that sort of complement our own growing cycles. Think of things like blueberries. Add to that processed foods like alcoholic beverages. The U.S. had back-to-back -back record exports during the last two fiscal years, reaching $196 billion in fiscal 2022, with new records in seven of the top ten markets, including China, Mexico, and Canada. Well, also, we see the Food and Agricultural Policy Research Institute at the University of Missouri released its annual U.S. Baseline Outlook Report. It includes projections for agricultural and biofuel markets and helps in evaluating alternative scenarios for agricultural policy. FAPRI Director Pat Westhoff says, quote, Projected prices for most crops, poultry, and dairy products all retreat in 2023 from recent peaks, and so do some production expenses, end quote. Now, among the findings, the report says if weather conditions allow crop yields to return to trend line levels in 2023, prices for corn, soybeans, wheat, cotton, and many other crops are likely to fall. Higher fertilizer, fuel, and feed costs contributed to a very sharp increase in farm production costs last year, but a smaller increase is projected in 2023. Lower prices in some inputs will likely bring down production costs in 2024 and 2025. Hog, poultry, and dairy prices will fall, but beef prices are expected to remain high.
In other news headlines here today, other than in the U.S., beef markets around the world are seeing softer consumer demand. A Rabobank Quarter 3 Global Beef Quarterly Report says cattle prices are split into two groups, those in North America and Europe and those in the rest of the world. Declining supplies and strong consumer demand in the U.S. are driving cattle prices higher, and lower domestic beef supplies also held up prices in Canada and Europe. It's the opposite in most other regions where increased supply and lower demand are making prices softer. Rabobank says U.S. cattle prices have increased almost 30% over the past 12 months, while Australian cattle prices have dropped by more than 30%, calling it the largest spread they've seen in the past decade. In a number of regions, particularly in Asia, beef purchases made in anticipation of COVID recovery haven't been consumed yet, leaving supply chains full. Also here on the show today, looking at the latest weekly crop progress uh, report numbers out Tuesday afternoon with the Labor Day holiday. We did see corn and soy conditions fall on the weekend at September 3rd. Bouts of extreme heat in much of the Corn Belt uh, had a pretty substantial influence on crop condition ratings as the percentage of corn and bean crops rated good to excellent drop 2 to 3 percentage points on Tuesday's report. Corn. Crop condition, 53% good to excellent as of Sunday, September 3rd. That's down from 56% last week and one point lower than a year ago. Illinois ratings fell 10 points to 57% good to excellent. Iowa fell 5 points to 49% good to excellent. Kansas and Missouri were the worst rated at 33% and 32% good to excellent, respectively. On the soybean side, crop conditions, 53% good to excellent nationwide as of Sunday, down from 58% last week. Illinois dropped 10 points in soybeans as well to 58%. Iowa fell 4 points to just 49% good to excellent. Kansas also the worst rated at 25% for soybeans and down 12 points from the prior week. And also looking over at spring wheat crop conditions, USDA no longer reporting the spring wheat condition as too much of the crop has been harvested. Harvest progress, 74% complete as of Sunday, just slightly behind the 77% average. Minnesota's ahead of the average pace at 85% complete. North Dakota still lagging at 64% done compared to the five-year average of 73%. Well, that is all the time we have here today on AOA, Agriculture of America. Coming up on tomorrow's program, we're going to have a conversation with Emily Score, the CEO of Growth Energy. We'll also get an update on Husker Harvest Days from show manager Matt Youngman. All that and more coming up on tomorrow's AOA. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a fantastic rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hardworking Lucento fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual mode of action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucento fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com for hardworking control in your fields. Always read and follow all legal directions. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. 